this earthly peace that you have experienced that's through the machinery of the Roman Empire is superseded with a different kind of peace. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. We had a whirlwind Holy Week. Thank you for joining us for it. And now we're back to our regularly scheduled programming for Easter Sunday. This episode, we have Felicity Harley McGowan, research associate and lecturer, and Bruce Gordon, Titus Street Professor of Ecclesiastical History. They're discussing Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 43, which is appointed for Easter Sunday in year A. Here's the text. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. Then Peter began to say to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every people, anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I'm very struck at the opening of this passage where Peter says, God doesn't play favorites. And when I read this, I thought, well, it it strikes me that the Bible is full of people being chosen to do different things and to receive blessings and particular in wisdom and and gifts and curses. I mean, there are people, there are certainly people who are also certainly not favorites. But I did, I did wonder this. I mean, I, I, I get the point that, you know, we all stand equal before God. And certainly that is, is surely what, what Peter means here. But I just was very struck with this notion of, of favorites and, and favoritism here is because there, it, it's hard not to think of the Bible and think of those many characters who stand out, whether they're prophets or Moses or those who are chosen at particular moments in the biblical stories. Joshua, you know, I even think of when at the moment of the descent of the dove and God says, this is, this is my son. You know, obviously Jesus has a particular place in this, but it just made me think that there are such personalities through the Bible and, and the particular individuals really do stand out. And maybe we don't want to call them favorites, but they're, the role of, of individual characters is, is so much of what the Bible is. Hmm. I guess I thought myself in, in the opening of this passage, I was reflecting on the dream that Peter has had in the, 
in the previous section and the way in which partiality, I guess I was taking it more here to be about his own reflection that comes with great clarity at this point that we all are able to receive salvation and so that the partiality in this respect was not so much about different individuals, which we certainly do see different characters and protagonists within the stories um, as recipients of God's generosity and such, but that at this moment, it struck me, Peter, is this is his aha moment about about Christianity and about what it means to be within the community and that that salvation really is available to all. We don't have to worry about what to eat when anymore, that that those those old laws really have fallen away and that there is a new there is a new availability, I guess, of salvation and and then you know, he walks us through the events, the crucifixion and and the resurrection and so forth. It, it was just such a striking entry into his own psyche is probably the wrong word here, but this, the road from Joppa moment for, for Peter, that's, that's quite extraordinary. Which is, is fascinating in many ways because Peter will play a very particular role. Right. In this, he will be. You know, certainly according to some traditions more than others, but is is chosen for a particular role, which in some ways will embody the authority of the church. I was I was reflecting on this when just as as you were saying about you know salvation being open to all. Just yesterday I was lecturing on Luther and we were doing a sort of discussion and Luther talks about the priesthood of all believers and all being equal before God and, and the word of God being equally available to to all and of course questions come forward from from students saying well if if all are equal why do we need these structures of authority you know, within the church why are certain people you know, chosen to be pastors and priests and bishops and what happens with that equality when some are then set in authority over others and of course this is a major issue of the Reformation, what do they mean by spiritual freedom and what do they mean by equality of all before God? Is is that an institutional equality? Is that equality in the world? Is it simply a spiritual equality? And, and so it's when Peter reflects on this and, and given his own, his own particular role that he will play in this, think of the keys, it's quite fascinating. But what I also was really struck with is what he, is what he says. And that is that that Jesus is God's message to Israel. And what is that message? It's good news. And what is that good news? It's good news of peace. That's that sounds very attractive. But I wonder what they understood by this message of peace in a society where there was enormous oppression. You had the rule of of Rome, where people where there was considerable political turmoil. You could imagine people wondering, what form of peace is this that God is giving us in Christ? Is it, again, it's like this issue of equality. Is it inward spiritual or is it peace in the world? What is, what is it meant? What is, we talk about the language of peace of, of Christ. We use this all the time. But what is this peace? It's interesting, isn't it? Because the, the, point of distinction about the 
death that occurs. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. The, that that moment of of execution contrasts directly, as you say, with this this notion of 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 peace, such that there's a there is a juxtaposition here, or a, a very vivid reminder, as you as you mentioned about Roman society, the prevalence both of violence and oppression and that the experience of of the Pax Romana, of the maintenance of of peace in the Roman Empire was maintained through the enforcement of, of violence and it's a brutal uh, peace, isn't right. it? Right. So um so there's there are there are very interesting images that are are emerging here that contrasting or, or raising in into juxtaposition different notions of perhaps one superseding the other that this this peace this earthly peace that you have experienced that's through the machinery of the Roman Empire is superseded with a different kind of, of peace that um, I was also struck in to that point this reference to him as Lord of all which in this context too if we're thinking about the contemporary context of the Roman Empire this is a term used in in classical religions so it's a setting up of term that the original hearers would have understood and then a distinction in a sense of, you know, you understand this concept of who is Lord of all, but actually there's a, a recasting of what yes. that means. It makes me think of those sort of Byzantine mosaics of the sort of Christ as Pantocrator, <laughs> this sort of ruler of the world, this very grand. But I, I, I would be fascinated to know what you make of the latter part of the passage where this emphasis on Jesus as healer. And that seems to be his, in this passage, the primary manifestation of the power that he's given. And it speaks of God anointing Jesus with, with power. And again, power is an interesting term given what you've been speaking about. Why, I wonder, does Peter highlight Christ as healer in this? And what kind of healing? Is it a physical healing that we're, we're talking about? Is it a kind of inward? Are we talking about sin? It, it seems to me it's it's not... It's not entirely clear, but then he connects those who need to be healed as being under the power of the devil, of the demonic. And is that is that illness, physical illness, seen as a kind of demonic curse, or are we talking about a curse of sin? It wasn't it wasn't clear to me, but I'm I'm sure in a kind of ancient context that that sense of Christ as healer must have been very powerful. Yes, and in a sense could mean all of the above, as you suggested, that there there was, you know, an understanding that certain illnesses were a, a manifestation of the, the residence within the body of an evil spirit or a demonic force. And so I think you you can have both your both of your ideas joined together here and and the image of healer was certainly one of the most popular when Christian communities began to visually express their faith or begin to experiment with visual representations of of Jesus for for communities. It was through acts of healing that his power was able to be represented most clearly. And and again, going back to this idea of Lord of All, a concept that people would have been familiar with. The idea of healing, I think an image of, you know, the raising of, of Lazarus or of the paralytic stories like this could have both a literal meaning of this is a person that was healed and they were previously under the 
power of of demons and and Jesus was able to release them from that power uh, and at the same time that that being a parable of the ways in which we may also be entrapped by our own demons and that this idea of the universality of salvation again that that Christ can release us from those so it may be both a, a physical, we've, we may suffer from depression and that will have physical manifestations and that Christ can, can both release us in the moment but also for, for eternity. And that may be a simplistic vision of it. And there's a long tradition in the churches of mental health, as you're talking about, as seen as demonic. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Professors Harley and Gordon, for giving us your thoughts for Easter. We've got a transcript of this episode and lots more Bible study resources on our website. Visit YaleBibleStudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddard, and I'm your host and executive producer Helena Martin. Mixing on today's episode and our theme music are by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.